This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cutmore. We welcome James Kaplan to the program. How are you doing, Jim? Good. James Kaplan is a lawyer, writer, and walking tour historian who's the president and one of the founders of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. The association annually celebrates July 4th weekend with a parade through Lower Manhattan and the Alexander Hamilton Immigrant Achievement Awards ceremony, recognizing contributions to New York City by prominent individuals born outside the United States. It also is responsible for naming Evacuation Day Plaza at Bowling Green in New York and efforts to revive the ancient New York City holiday of Evacuation Day, and they're involved with the Saratoga-Yorktown celebration in Trinity Churchyard, annually held in October. Uh, Jim Kaplan is the founding partner of Greenberg and Kaplan, where he is a practicing tax, estate, and guardianship lawyer. Let me ask you first about Lower Manhattan, what what are the boundaries there, and what led to your interest in the history of Lower Manhattan? Sure. Uh, Well, like many uh, neighborhoods in New York, there are no official boundaries that I'm aware of. Some people say uh, south of uh, Canal Street, others would say south of Chambers Street, and some might even say south of 14th Street. But I think certainly you're safe with south of Canal Street and perhaps south of uh, Chambers Street, which is about two or three blocks further south. Mm. Do you work there in Lower Manhattan? Yes, I have worked in Lower Manhattan since 1975, although I now my office is in Midtown since 2014, so I've been there more than uh, uh, 35 years. Uh, I became interested in the history of Lower Manhattan when, as a young lawyer working on Wall Street, I would, at lunchtime, visit various uh, sites that were in the neighborhood, uh, uh, such as the New York Stock Exchange, Federal Hall, the U.S. Customs House, Francis Tavern Museum, the South Street Seaport. And I came to believe, which I still do, that Lower Manhattan is probably the most historically interesting area of Uh, the country, certainly the most historically interesting area of New York City and perhaps the world because of all the things that have happened there. I would say I was also, over time, which I still believe, (coughs) disappointed that many of the people who worked there, many of my colleagues, seemed to have only a passing uh, uh, knowledge or interest of the historic, the the, the great historical importance of the area. Mm -hmm. And uh, 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 I informally, I guess, over time, be, began to uh, 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 periodically take people from my office places. And then in uh, uh, 1981, uh, uh, I took a course called Tour Guide Training with the historian, architectural historian Barry Lewis, which was run by the Municipal Arts Society, in a sense, turned semi-pro as a walking tour guide. Of course, unfortunately, I wasn't able to, uh, uh, with four children, I wasn't able to do it full-time, so I couldn't quit my day job. But uh, 
uh, I had a, uh, I've had a fascination with the area, which I would say has grown, and I would say I still have the view that it is probably the most historically interesting area of the country, if not the world. Mm. Well, you certainly paint an interesting picture there. I mean, you can see that. I mean, Lower Manhattan, the financial district, right, and and other things in New York City, and the people are busy. They're they're going about their business, or maybe their business is entertainment or or something like that, but they're not, uh, you know, focused on the the things around them. Yes, I think that's very much true. And uh, and I think it it hurts people, uh, hurts the whole area the country that people don't know more about, the very rich history, that almost hits you in the face down in Lower Manhattan. So at some point, you and others formed the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. How long ago was that? That was about uh, four or five years ago. It came about because I gave an all-night walking tour for the uh, Francis Tavern Museum for about 15 years, uh, which led to the marking of General Gates' grave, which I think we'll talk about later, but uh, uh, it occurred to me and others in our group that uh, the major July 4th uh, activity in New York City uh, was the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest in Pony <laughs> Island. And, That's good. Uh, and that still is, still is the major, but that perhaps we should try to create more activity in Lower Manhattan, the most historic area, uh, that would refocus at least some portion of uh, uh, New York City's activities toward uh, uh, its most historic area. Uh, I I can't say that we're nearly as uh, strong as the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest on July 4th, but but we're getting there. Okay. What has happened this year? So this year you had your annual Fourth of July parade. What what what's the parade route and uh, and who takes part? Sure. Uh, well, the way the parade began was we initially we wanted to have what was called the July Fourth Festival, where we would get various businesses and uh, cultural institutions to stay open on July Fourth. That that didn't work out too well. But in uh, 2015, the uh, French ship the Hermione was an exact replica of uh, Lafayette's uh, 1780 ship uh, visiting uh, uh, the United States uh, was uh, uh, going up the eastern seaport and uh, seaboard and had uh, decided to dock in New York for uh, uh, July 4th and this was a tremendous investment by the French government and the French people uh, as a goodwill gesture to the United States. Uh, it was well received throughout most uh, seaboard cities, but for whatever reason, in New York they had uh, they had uh, difficulty uh, uh, getting the mayor, the governor, etc. But we embraced it, and uh, uh, we were able successfully to get the Hermione to dock at the South Street Seaport rather than Brooklyn, which had been planned. And as a result, on uh, July second, we decided we would have a parade in honor of the Hermione and its uh, sailors, and that was a very last-minute uh, mm-hmm. thing, but uh, but it was highly successful. Uh, it started at the South Street Seaport, went across Wall Street, and down uh, Broadway to Bowling Green. Uh, after that, uh, we were able to raise funds for a July 4th uh, uh, parade, and this year's parade, I think, was the most successful, because... 
We started at the battery, which is where the veteran corps of artillery has always shot a 50-gun salute on July 4th for more than 100 years. And then we marched uh, across uh, Battery Park, up uh, uh, Broad Street and the, uh, most of the way of Wall Street over the South Street Seaport uh, in New York, in Lower Manhattan. And in addition, uh, we we had uh, the marchers included the, the Emerald Society bagpipers led it, and they created tremendous interest on the street. So there were many, many people on the street. It was a good day. And I would say, although we may have only had uh, uh, 30 or 40 more actual marchers, like uh, they were primarily from the Sons of the Revolution, Color Guard, the Sons of the American Revolution, the Colonial Dames of America, uh, my family, and uh, people like that, uh, uh, we probably had 2,000 people on the street watching the parade, and, and we, of course, asked them to join in. So I think this year's parade was was very successful, and uh, and next year hopefully will be even bigger, and uh, hopefully we can really give the uh, Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest a run for their money. (laughs) This is the Historian's Podcast, and our guest is uh, James Kaplan, a lawyer, writer, and walking tour historian, president of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. More with him in a moment. Do want to mention our GoFundMe campaign, which supports the Historian podcast. The campaign is underway for 2018. If you want to donate online, go to GoFundMe.com forward slash Historians 2018. Then you can donate uh, using your credit card. If you'd rather not use your credit card online in that way, you can send me a check. Make the check out to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to Bob Cudmore at 125 Horseman Drive in Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. Joining us on the Historian's Podcast is Jim Kaplan, an attorney, a writer, walking tour historian, who's the president and one of the founders of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. I'd like to bring up uh, one of the landmarks in Lower Manhattan, as I understand it, with the intent of uh, uh, drawing you out on uh, the, the subject, really, of the uh, you know some of the leaders of the American Revolution. Trinity Church is located in uh, Lower Manhattan, I believe. Where is it, and what is the historical importance of the church and its in its churchyard? Well, Trinity Church is located at. Uh uh, right at the end of Wall Street, as it hits Broadway, uh, it was built initially in 1696, and it always has been the seat of the Episcopal Parish in uh, New York City, which uh, at the time of the Revolution was by far the most important uh, uh, church in the city, arguably today with uh, you know the Catholics and other groups. It's smaller, but it's still a very important uh, institution and has been for more than 300 years and really in many respects spiritually has set the tone for uh, Lower Manhattan. Uh, uh, Its churchyard, in my view, is one of the most important historical sites in the United States because of the people who are buried there. Uh, Most of the, you might say, upper class or upper leaders of uh, uh, the revolution uh, 
uh, in New York City are buried there, and uh, uh, it, it has a number of fascinating people. Mm-hmm. I, I guess uh, you know we, we can discuss. Yeah. The, the, well, well, why don't we? Uh, uh, let me start with the one that's the best known uh, today, and that's Alexander Hamilton. He's buried there. Yes, Alexander Hamilton is is buried in a large, some might even say, ostentatious tomb there uh, with his wife Elizabeth, who was uh, 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 Hamilton was uh, George began his career as George Washington's key aide during the American Revolution, and he was a liaison with uh, Horatio Gates in the Battle of Saratoga after the battle, and was also the hero of the Battle of Yorktown. Uh, where he led the uh, charge on Redoubt 10, which was critical to the uh, siege. Uh, but his real main claim to fame and his real importance is that he was the first Secretary of the Treasury of the United States mm-hmm. uh, under Washington and really created the American financial system. And uh, he, he was a great believer that the United States should be a great industrial and economic and military power and in many ways, the United States today follows the plans of uh, Alexander Hamilton. Uh, I think on Wall Street, he's viewed as the patron saint of Wall Street, so uh, quite well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died in 1804 in a duel with Aaron Burr, who was at the time the sitting vice president and his political rival. Right. And in fact, I mean, the, the duel took place in New Jersey, right? But he was not killed instantaneously, and he, he came, he, didn't he die in New York City? Yeah, he, he was rowed back uh, uh, for, I think he lasted for about uh, uh, 24 hours. He was rowed back to near his home in New York. But even at the time, dueling was considered uh, uh, somewhat risque and on the way out, and people were horrified that the two political leaders of New York, uh, Hamilton, who was the head of the Federalist Party, and Burr, who was the head of the... Uh, what is now the Democratic Party would would shoot it out at mm, it, and right. uh, uh, so um, Hamilton is to, particularly today with the uh, Ron Chernow's biography and the, the, the show Hamilton and the Alexander Hamilton Awareness Society far and away the best known yeah. of the people in. The- and also, you mentioned, I believe, his wife Elizabeth, who I uh, our program is based in upstate New York. She was from Albany. She was uh, one of the Schuylers. Of- yeah, she was Philip Schuyler's daughter. Yeah. That obviously, uh, he married her, I think, in about 1780 when he was a young aide to George Washington. And that was quite a step up for him socially and uh, perhaps economically. That, you know, this poor boy, he was really a poor boy from the Caribbean. Uh, an immigrant uh, would, uh, uh, you know, marry into such a prominent family. Well, let me uh, ask you about uh, another famous burial at the Trinity uh, Churchyard, and that is um, General Horatio Gates, who was the winning general at the Battles of Saratoga here in the um, upstate of, of New York, which is generally considered the turning point of the American Revolution. Yeah, Gates is one of my favorites. Uh, uh, I, I think he's uh, very much underappreciated in, in, in American history. Uh, he essentially was placed in command of the American troops at the Battle of Saratoga in uh, Octo- uh, on August 18, 1777, when 
things couldn't have looked worse. Washington had lost at the Battle of uh, uh, in New York, the Battle of Brooklyn, and then he was about to lose again at the Battle of Brandywine. And uh, there was a 10,000-man force coming south from uh, Canada under gentleman Johnny Burgoyne, who was considered one of the king's best generals. And suddenly the Continental Congress, led by uh, John Adams, decided to put in charge this passed-over British supply officer uh, uh, named Horatio Gates. And two months later, the entire British army surrendered to Gates. Uh, uh, there's, there's been some controversy over whether Gates or subordinate officers, such as Benedict Arnold or Daniel Morgan, were really responsible for the victory. I feel strongly that it was Gates, uh, and there was some discussion in 1778 about replacing Washington as commander-in-chief with Gates because Gates had won the most important battle, whereas Washington had just lost two of the most important battles. But Washington was able to squelch uh, that. Gates later was uh, 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 placed in charge at the Battle of Camden in South Carolina in 1780, he was disastrously defeated by uh, uh, Lord Cornwallis, and uh, after the war, and he was accused of, of cowardice because he went to, well, he said he went to get further help, but he quickly ran from the battlefield. Uh, uh, anyhow, uh, he was really in disgrace, and in a way his uh, reputation has never survived that. After the war, he lived in Virginia, but in 1790, he and his second wife moved to New York, where he became active in veterans' affairs. He was a political opponent of Alexander Hamilton's Federalist Party and uh, gravitated toward Aaron Burr and the uh, anti-Federalist uh, so-called Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 but most people, uh, even his biographers, failed to recognize his great importance in the elections of 1800. He ran for state assembly in the elections of 1800, New York State Assembly. Leading the Tammany ticket, they convinced him to run, and to have a figure of Gates' importance was quite important. And they won, and that uh, caused New York State to go for Jefferson since uh, it was critical in the city. Uh, so I, I believe you could even attribute Jefferson's election Horatio Gates' efforts, and he was in his 70s at the time. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, he died in 1806 and was buried in Trinity Churchyard. Uh, he was completely forgotten. His, his, his grave uh, was so-called lost uh, until very recently. Mm. And, and what is there a grave now or a marker? You know where he's actually buried? Well, we don't know where he's actually buried, but uh, I was responsible with the Daughters of the American Revolution for having a plaque laid in uh, Trinity Churchyard uh, uh, in 2012. And that came out of... Uh, I, I became interested in Gates about 30 years ago when I was at a uh, New York State tax section uh, convention, and in the afternoon when most people went to the track, I went to the Saratoga Battlefield... <laughs> And I discovered, uh, reading a book by a fellow named John Elting, that Gates' grave, it said, was lost. Uh, and Elting cited it to show us how 
deservedly obscure he was. But I go went by Trinity Church every day on my way to work at this Wall Street subway stop, and I was amazed to think that not only I but the ten thousand other people uh, didn't know that the most important Revolutionary War general buried in New York State was buried there in Trinity Church. Uh, so years l- later, I began to give a walking tour for the Francis Tavern Museum, which started at two in the morning. It was a continuation given by the 92nd Street Y, and I did that for 15 years, in which I would spend about 35 minutes on General Horatio Gates and the Battle of Surrey, and the, the, mm-hmm. the punchline at the end of it was, uh, uh, now a million people will visit George Washington's grave this year, but how many of you know where General Gates is buried? Right here in an unmarked grave. And uh, uh, as a result of that, a woman who came on the tour named Charlotte Van Orn Squaresy, uh, uh was active with the BAR, brought it to the attention of Denise Van Buren, who was the then regent of the New York State BAR, and she made it her personal project to contact Trinity Church, which I'd never had the nerve to do, mm-hmm. and to uh, uh, convince them that even though uh, Gates' grave had been unmarked for 200 years, there should be a plaque and some recognition of him. So that's that's how it it happened. James Kaplan with us from the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. And as they say uh, when they're selling stuff on TV, but there's more. Another uh, burial at uh, the Trinity uh, Churchyard is uh, another uh, man who uh, is noted up here in the upstate, once again, for his role in the American Revolution. But he was a New York City person. And that's Marinus Willett? Yes, Marinus Willett's grave is marked. There has never been unmarked, as far as I know. Although you'd be hard put to find him unless you in Trinity Churchyard. It's it's uh, you know a few uh, feet from uh, Hamilton and, and Gates. Uh, uh, Willett uh, really was a, a New York City uh, <coughs> politician in a sense for for fifty years very important politician. He was an anti-federalist. Uh, uh, he uh, was the hero of the Battle of Fort Stanwix, uh, up there, for which he's known upstate, and uh, also for his work on the uh, uh, fighting uh, Indians during the Revolutionary War. But most of his career, he was a cabinet maker in New York, and uh, one of his early uh, exploits was that he stood in front of a British convoy carrying which was going to the Battle of Bunker Hill and got them to back down uh, in 1775. But to me, his most interesting activity, and there were many over, he was uh, the high sheriff of New York right after the Revolution. Uh, He was uh, always tied in with the New York City uh, Democratic Party and the Tammany Society, of which he was, you might say, he was one of the founders. But... uh, uh, but to me, the most interesting by far of his uh, uh, exploits, if you will, was how he settled the Creek War in 1790. Uh, in 1790, the United States was under uh, had a terrible problem. Although it got all the land by the Treaty of Paris east of the Mississippi, what today is Alabama and Georgia was entirely controlled by the Creek Nation, who wasn't letting white people into their territory. So the state of Georgia wanted the federal government to clear them out, but Washington and 
Knox is, uh, knew they, 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 they didn't have the power mm. or ability to do that. Mm. So he w- w- went to Willett, who was actually from an opposite political party. Mm. Willett was an anti-federalist. But he had a high regard for him, and he asked him if he could go down and see if he could make peace or, or to the, uh, with, with the Creeks, and, uh, uh, because he knew of Willett's activities with the Native Americans in northern New York State. And uh, Willett somehow was able to get into Creek territory, where you know, which is, uh, and meet with the uh, Key Creek chief, Alexander McGillivray, and convince him to come up to New York City, which was then the capital. And... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, he had the Tammany Society, this political uh, civic group of, of which he was recently founded, were dressed in Indian headdresses and things like that, and they all met with the Greek chiefs and supposedly went out for drinks and went out for and a series of parties, and they made a very fair treaty, the Treaty of New York, which essentially uh, said that white people could come into Greek territory as long as they respected the Creek's hunting grounds, and uh, supposedly, uh, you know, this was a huge diplomatic triumph for the early United States, and mm-hmm. uh, so that was... Uh, uh, Marinus Willett. And just to finish the thought about <clears throat> Marinus Willett upstate, um, a lot of our listeners up there will know the name Fort Plain. His troops, and he were were based at Fort Plain for, you know, um, some of the years anyway, of the American Revolution. It, we're getting uh, close to the end of our time with uh, Jim Kaplan of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. Let me just pick one more uh, thing to bring up, and that is Evacuation Day. You will have a commemoration of that this coming November. What was Evacuation Day? Well, Evacuation Day was the day the British left uh, uh, New York City, uh, which was the last place they left in North America. So essentially, it was the day that the American nation began. And on that day, the flag was raised at Bowling Green, even though the British had greased the pole. And the Americans took over, and that was the official end of the uh, revolution. Now, the uh, for more than 150 years, until 1916, it was celebrated as a major patriotic event, some say even close to July 4th in New York City, uh, when uh, during World War I they thought it was anti-British, so they stopped it. But the idea is they would we would raise the flag at Bowling Green on uh, what today is. We've had renamed Evacuation Day Plaza. And this would be the beginning of the American government. Uh, I think it's a very important day. And... Evacuation Day Plaza is a very important site. The Sons of the Revolution always had an Evacuation Day dinner at Francis Tavern. Uh, We, in conjunction with them, took it somewhat further in that we decided we would formally reinstitute the holiday of Evacuation Day by raising a flag at the exact time that the flag was raised in 1783 and for the 150 years thereafter. So uh, uh, that was, uh, uh, so we started about uh, four years ago. We had about 10 or 15 people. We got there and raised the flag, unfurled the flag at the Evacuation Day dinner before the night before. Mm -hmm. And now I would say last year we had 400 people. Our guest has been James Kaplan, a lawyer, writer, and walking tour historian who's the president and one of the founders of the Lower Manhattan Historical Association. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Goodmore.